I'm reading this morning from the 24th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. If you would like to follow along for the reading of Scripture, we continue to look at David, the most significant uh, character in the Bible other than Jesus. It takes 66 chapters to tell his story. When David is on his game, he is, as, he is as good as anyone can be. No one is better. But when David slips and turns the other way, you wonder if anybody could be worse. And David, anointed by Samuel, while a teenage boy out in the, out in the sheep pasture, uh, designated to be king of Israel, would go back to the sheep for a while. His journey to the palace would not come as king, but would come as a harp player for the current king of Israel named Saul, whom the Lord had withdrawn his spirit because of Saul's continued disobedience. And David found not a welcome sign at the palace for him, but rather a sign of danger as Saul tried to kill him on several occasions. In fact, it was his heart playing that Saul threw a spear at David the first time, trying to pin him to the wall, the Bible says. He would do that again in that setting. He would do it six, he would do it four more times before the story's over. Saul fueled by jealousy and anger and greed, launches an attack upon David as God's anointing that is unparalleled in Scripture. And what David did in response to that, I think, is significant. He began, first of all, by running away and going to another town and going to church. He lied to the preacher as to why he was there. He, he lied to the priest as to what his purpose was and what his need was. And although he got a few loaves of bread to eat, he, the result was that Saul killed everybody in that town. In fact, the Bible says slaughtered them, including 85 priests of the city of Nob. David begins to continue to run and do things on his own way. He kind of makes a mess of things. And, and, and we, we finish the 23rd chapter with Saul almost catching up with David. David's men had left the confines of the deep forest where they were hiding to come out into the, onto the plains and to rescue the city of Keilah from the hand of the Philistines. And David's men didn't want to go out and leave the safety of the forest, but David, first thing David did was he inquired of the Lord. The first time in several chapters in, in a 10-year period that David began to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord told him to go and help, and he delivered Keilah and the Philistines into the hands of David and saved the city and just as the men were getting away, word comes to Saul that David and his men are down there on the outskirts of Keilah, and they, they uh, immediately head that way. 3,000 men with King Saul. The Bible says that Saul showed up on one side of the mountain as David and his men were on the other side of the mountain trying to get away. And as the, as the two forces got closer and closer and closer, and Saul was almost to catch David, God sent someone, a runner, to King Saul that said, you and the army are needed over here in this other part of the country. The Philistines are, are ravaging our country. And Saul left and went to fight the Philistines and spared David's life. And the 24th chapter, we pick up with where we are uh, in the story. And uh, we'll follow along if we would with me for reading the first 13 verses. Chapter 24, 1 Samuel, verse 1. After Saul returned from suing, pursuing the Philistines... He was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 choice men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said to David, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand for you 
to deal with as you wish. In other words, to kill Saul. And it says, David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Verse 5, afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Verse 7, with these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. After Saul left the cave and went on his way, David went out of the cave and called out to him, Saul, my lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in this cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. And I said, I will not lift up my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but, you did, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. Verse 12, may the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Well, David has left the plains of Keilah and, and, uh, and, and escaped, barely escaped from King Saul and his army. And they've headed to the Dead Sea on the western side of Dead Sea. It's a, it's a, a, a barren place. A limestone, limestone caves, limestone mountains form very sheer steep cliffs. And, and it is a place of, of ravines and, and honeycomb with caves. It's a perfect place to hide. The word comes to Saul by a spy that David and his 600 men with him were down there in the En Gedi, just west of the Dead Sea. And Saul takes the army and his 3,000 man army and heads to see David. And we've read the story of how in a moment's time Saul goes into this cave. It must have been a big cave to house, to house 601 men, 602 men if you count Saul, David. A big cave, Saul goes in to get out of the sun and to, uh, to uh, take care of his business. And while there, the men said to David, amazing thing, God, they even quoted scripture, God has given this man into your hands, you can kill him right now, no one will ever know, we'll say it's self-defense, you can be free from this, you can inherit the kingdom, and you can rid yourself of your greatest enemy for ten years. Hear me now, ten years David had been on the run from King Saul. And it seemed like it was coming to a, to a very great climax where, according to David's soldiers, God had given Saul into his very hand. David's response is somewhat unusual. In fact, David, remember, you remember David, the Bible says, had a heart after God. It doesn't say that about anybody else in Scripture. David had a heart after God, and God so recognized that and blessed David because of that. And one evidence of David's heart after God is David begins to act and conduct himself in a very godlike manner. He doesn't take opportunity that's there. He doesn't take the easy way out. He decides he's going to let God solve his problem in God's time, in God's way. He will not help God to accomplish the ridding of the enemy and the attacks of Saul. 
Say, I want to tell you, folks, that's a good method for you and I to follow today. God does not need our help to accomplish His will for us. In fact, if you want to make matters worse, and I can testify by my own life and my own self, if you want to make matters worse, get involved and try to help God do His will for you. And uh, it will make a great mess. Uh, and certainly not help the cause of God in one's life. And David did not kill Saul, but as evidence of his ability to have done that, he cut off a piece of Saul's royal robe. And we read the story when Saul got through and went out to join his men out of the cave and got far enough away, David went out holding up that piece of cloth and he said, Hey, Saul, look at this. He said, You continue to follow me and to try to kill me. You continue to listen to people tell you that I want to take your life and that I am your arch enemy, but it is not true. I could have done that this very hour, but I didn't do it. But here's evidence that I could have. Here's the piece of cloth in my hand of the missing piece of your royal robe. I imagine Saul did some robe searching about that time to see if indeed it was from his robe. And David began to say to Saul, as we've read, I, I might not understand it, and I might not fully accept it, but you are king over the nation of God's people, and, and, and you are God's anointed, and who am I to step in and say, I'm going to end that thing? In fact, it's a matter of respect to God, David said, I trust you. And although he could have ended the life of Saul and really moved the story along, he did not do that but offered him great grace and great uh, respect with 600 men following him telling him to do it with everybody saying do this and do that David did not respond I want to remind you this morning that we live in a world that, that, that people all around us will tell us to do certain things. And if we're not careful and if we want to be real confused, just listen to what everybody else is saying. Somewhere along the way, we have to know what is right behavior for us and right conduct for us and God's will for us in our actions. And no matter what anybody says, we're going to do what we know God leads us to do. And we're not going to give in and follow the order of the day. God's will does not need confirmation from everybody around us. David knew who he was in the Lord. And because David had first had gone back in chapter 23 and began to inquire of the Lord. I want to remind you that's the most important thing David did was inquire of the Lord. We would say in Scripture often says they built an altar and worshipped. They built an altar such as we have here and, 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 and got on their face before God and, and, and asked God, inquired of the Lord what they should do. It is the most significant thing David did in a life of great accomplishment. David would be the giant killer, the little bitty shepherd boy, the the, the, the one that was so small, Goliath said, you come at me as I'm a dog with a, with a little kid and a bunch of sticks. But David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And David overcame the giant. David would unite the 12 tribes of Israel. They had not had unity for several hundreds of years. David would establish Jerusalem as a holy city after the very heart of God. And in fact, Jerusalem still today retains that and will be a key player at the end of, of times. When Jesus returns, David took a little wimpy army of Israel and overcame and led them into great victory over giant-like nations all around him. David was an extensive builder, an extensive warrior. David, did some, David accomplished some significant things, but nothing as important as getting on his face before God and inquiring of God what to do. It's almost a lot lost art in the church in America today 
The altar is such a special place. Uh, we uh, find that many churches have simply removed it from their, from their worship and from their sanctuary. But, but your personal altar is where you do business with God. And it's where we get strength for the day and strength for the actions that we need to take. And strength to do differently than everybody around us says to do. David inquired of the Lord. He began to do that. He began to get on the right path. He began to have God's respect for the King Saul. And even though he could have taken revenge, he did not because it was not the right thing for him to do. We live in a world today that says get even, get, get ahead or get even with those around you. We live in a world that says if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. We live in a world that says if you've wronged me, I will tirelessly pursue a chance to get back even with you. We live in a world where revenge is king. We live in a world that has revenge as the basis of so many uh, electronic games and video games and television shows. And it's the basis of movie after movie after movie. But it is in great contrast to the very will of God for how God's people should conduct themselves. Former Dallas area uh, uh, congressman from up in Denton County, Dick Army, was a majority leader in the House of Representatives, fourth in line to the presidency. Dick Army's an interesting guy, and his life story is an interesting story, but after he left Congress, he wrote a book about about 30 things he's learned in uh, his time in politics, and one of them was, he said, if you try to get even, you'll never get ahead. Sometimes you have to take a stand for what's right and let God do all the rest. And David did just that. And uh, the life of Saul was spared. And even so much that when presented with the facts and the evidence, even King Saul would say, my, you are more righteous than I am. You are more godly than I am. I lead God's people, but you are far more than anything that I am. And David began to conduct himself and respond as God would have him respond. He becomes God-like in that action. And a heart after God begins when we begin to act like God would act. By the way, we don't ever achieve perfection in there. We don't ever get to the point where we never make a mistake and we never make a misjudgment. We don't ever get to the point where we, don't, where we never say anything we should. But folks, we ought to be better this year at it than we were last year. And we ought to grow in God's grace and God's spirit and God's maturity so that next year we're better at it than we are this year. And while we might not achieve perfection, that doesn't keep us from trying. So I think the lesson today is focused on this. How do you and I respond to people around us who do not, uh, uh, who do not, uh, who are not our supporters and our cheerleaders and who don't like us and who sometimes are mean to us and sometimes do things gr- with grudges and, and sometimes respond out of anger and jealousy. And sometimes I think just pure evil because I want to remind you, we all have Saul's in our life. Amen. You can say amen to that. I wish we didn't. I wish we had less, but we all have Saul's. People that don't like us. Doesn't matter if they have a good reason or not a good reason. People who who seek to to, to destroy our reputation. People who seek to gossip about us and say things based on half-truths or no truth. They are at work. They are at school. They are on the electronic messaging and communication. They are everywhere in our neighborhood, in our families. 
The fact of the matter is one of the commonalities we all have is that we deal in the midst of it. We live in the midst of people who do not always share our best interest. How's God's people to respond to those around us who act like that? Because we all have Saul's in our life. I want to remind you that God calls us to live by a different standard than the world. And though the world says get even, God says don't. And although the world says if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back, God says no. And, and the world says I'm going, to, I'm going to do to you exactly what you've done to me or worse if I can. God says that's not the way to have a heart after God. God calls us to a different standard. And we ought to respond differently. And the church ought to be an example of a collection of people who don't have life all figured out in the, in the way that we're perfect in everything we do. We're not perfect, just like David. We are flawed in, in so many areas, but we ought to be striving to be more godlike in what we do. And one of the ways we evidence that is how we treat those people around us who are mean and negative to us. I had a time in my life where a man did something to me that I didn't appreciate and and uh, he continued to do it, and I, I was a little bit shocked at all of that, and I couldn't hardly believe that somebody wouldn't like me. <laughs> I, I'm just being facetious there, but I, I know that. Uh, but he didn't just like me. He really didn't like me. And he continued to do things. I would hear his quotes all over town, and I would hear quotes of what he said in various places, even at church, and even my district leaders would, uh, and the church would, would, would quote things that this person said, and it, it just kind of irritated me to no end. I just couldn't seem to get over it. I would stay up late at night, and I would pray that God would end this, and pray that God would set the record straight, and pray that God would straighten this guy out, and I prayed all kinds of things. And one night, about midnight as I'm praying, I sense the Lord saying to me, you keep asking for my help, but you haven't done what I told you you should do in the first place. And I got my Bible out and began to open it, open it and began to read. Where Jesus said, when those around us don't treat us fairly, we are to bless those who curse us. We are to pray for those who despitefully use us, the King James Version says, despitefully use us. We're to turn the other cheek. We're to go the extra mile. We are to be such a representative of the very nature of God that when people around us are, don't treat us fairly, we show God in how we act and respond to Him. And I told the Lord I didn't want to pray for them. I didn't want to pray God's blessing upon them. I hope God didn't bless them. I didn't want to pray for their well-being. And the Lord did something to me in those hours to, to finally realize how wrong that attitude is. And so I began to try it. I began to pray that night that God would bless this man, that God would bless his home and bless his marriage and bless his relationship with his kids and bless his work. I didn't really believe it. I didn't really feel it in my spirit that I wanted God to do it, but I was trying to do what Jesus said to do. I began to pray that God's blessing upon him and that he would be successful and that he would find joy and happiness and peace, all the things he had seemed to rob for me. And I learned a very valuable lesson. I learned that when I pray for someone earnestly, intently, as Jesus says, I can't hold a grudge against them. I learned when I pray for people like Jesus says, when I ask God to bless them and, 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 and not uh, curse them, when I ask God to, to bless them in their well-being, when I pray for those, when I, when I treat those kindly who aren't kind to me, I learned that I can't be bitter and angry towards them. I learned a great lesson 
God didn't change them and their, and their actions. God changed me in the midst of it all. Now, I don't care to be around some of those people. I, if I never saw them again, it would be all right with me. I don't hate them. I don't have a grudge against them. I'm okay to, to keep a separation. But, but God did a transformational work in my life, much like David did in, Saul's, in David's life when he, when he had Saul in his hands. I want to remind you this morning, folks, we are, when, when, when the pressures of life come through other people, the way we act admits and reveals who we are in Christ. If you want to know how spiritual mature, spiritually mature you are, if you want to know what depth you've found in God, if you, want to, if you want to gauge how you're progressing in this business of Christian living, how you respond to those around us who are mean to us and unfair to us will, will show us exactly where we're at. And quite frankly, sometimes in the church we do a poor job at it. Quite frankly, we talk about the right things, and we talk about God, and we talk about a love of the, how God is loved, and we talk about the love God gives in our hearts when He when we comes into our hearts, and we invite Him in to be our Savior and Lord, and we repent of our sins, and all of that is true. But sometimes we fail to evidence that and how we respond to other people. God help the church today in America. God help all of us to get enough of Him into our being, that when the souls of our world come forward. We respond in a Christ-like way. David inquired of the Lord. David began to seek God. David began to pray. And probably that's the one thing that kept his priorities right and kept him focused on God's will. And even though King Saul was in his very hands in a cave, he could have taken him very easily. He could have had 600 men that were willing to volunteer for the job to kill Saul, yet he wouldn't let him do it. And he even goes out and publicly announces, you are still the king over the nation of Israel, and I will not lay a hand on you. It is not respectful. Too often the church is never guilty of being too respectful of others and being too gracious with others. God help every one of us to embrace the spirit of David in the midst of the trials of life to have enough of God in our lives that we don't do what we feel like we ought to do that we don't do what our friends say we ought to do, that we don't do what the world says we ought to do. We're marching to the beat of the drum of God himself. It's amazing to me in the midst of the fact that Saul was there, David did not respond. I want to tell you how we deal with people around us reflects the level and the maturity and the growth of who we are in Christ. We all have Saul's to face. We all have people that oppose us, people that destroy, would like to destroy us. And we better be careful to not let, uh, to not let a, a world mindset to take our place. We focus on Him. And that becomes the second thing of what David did, that what you and I ought to do in the midst of troublesome people. We focus on what we can control. Plain and simple. I spent a lot of time trying to focus on what everybody else is doing, and I realized a long time ago I cannot control them. I, uh, I have two, two girls that are grown, and you throw a wife in there, I've lived in a, in, a, in, a, in a home full of women. And I learned long ago that I have very little control over much of anything in my house and in my life. They were kind and gracious enough to let me think I had control. But it was a great lesson to me in life, in marriage, and relationships to realize I don't have much control. In fact, all I, the control I have is over me. 
We focus on what we can control when we deal with difficult situations and difficult people. It's how God brings a refreshing sense of cleansing to our hearts. We focus on our attitude, and in fact, our attitude is about the only single thing we are entirely responsible for. I determine what my attitude will be. The government doesn't. The president doesn't. The boss doesn't. The teacher doesn't. Our friends don't determine. We choose our attitudes because that's one of the few things we can control. And one of the reasons I think we have such trouble getting over what people do to us is that we are focused on the wrong things. We focus on what we can control, and that is ourselves, and we ask God to help us. I decided a few years ago I was going to pray that God would, would, would help me as much as I prayed that God would do something else to them. That sounds kind of bad. I don't mean it in a bad way, but I, I learned to realize that, that it's, it's kind of a wasted effort to pray that God will, will cause that person saying something to stop talking that way or to lose their voice for a while. You ever prayed that? <laughs> I'm not going to admit that I have, but it's not a bad idea to think about, you know. Uh, we pray that God will do all these things for other people, but we ought to be praying that God will help us control what we do and how we live. And then finally, I want to remind you that the focus has got to be on Jesus, on God himself. We use Jesus and God in, 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 a, in a very similar way, but the key to overcoming what others has done to us is to focus on God. That's what David did. In fact, if you read these last few chapters, you'll find a lot of talk about stuff and about people and what they're doing, but very little talk about God. David begins to inquire of the Lord in chapter 23, and in chapter 24, it, is, uh, it, it becomes key to everything David says. And David begins to call upon uh, uh, the name of the Lord and begin to mention God. In verse 10, he says to Saul, I, You've seen with your own eyes how the Lord has delivered you into my hands. In verse 11, he continues that same thought with, with uh, what he did do and didn't do. In verse 12, he says, may the Lord judge me. Verse 13, uh, may, uh, verse 12, may the Lord judge me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. May the Lord, may the Lord, may the Lord, may the Lord, may the Lord. It becomes key to David's response. He focused on God. He stopped focusing on what Saul was doing to him. He stopped focusing on the wrong that Saul had, had brought into his life. He, he stopped focusing on the, 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 the flaws of King Saul. He began to focus on God, and that gave him a completely different perspective as to how he approached life and situations that were not enjoyable, that were hard to understand, that had no real answer as to why. The key to overcoming what people do to us is that we learn to focus on God because we all have Saul's in our life and we all have situations that are very difficult to embrace. And David also seemed to realize something else. Let God take control. God will do better at solving the wrongs than I will. God will do better at judging the rights and wrongs of our life than I ever could. David seemed to say, I don't need to kill you. You're going to have to answer to God one of these days. And God rights all wrongs. It might not be in our lifetime for those people around us, but it will be a point in time in which God has the final word. And so David is a man after God's own heart. It was not because life was easy for him. David was a man after God's own heart, not because everything in life fell into place for him. 
David was a man after God's own heart, not because, not because he just seemed to guess right or he was lucky enough to, to, to follow this path. David, in the midst of the troubles of life, still continued to, to be on a road to find the heart of God. David, in the midst of his flaws and his shortcomings and his periods in which he seemed to forget God, David was able to find a heart after God. And I don't know about you, but I want to live in such a blessed way that I find the heart of God, that I live after God's, uh, what's important to God, that I stay true to Him. Because David is representative of all of us, folks. We all have a divine calling. We all have a divine anointing on our life. We all have God choosing us to spiritual victory. And yet there's a lot of pitfalls along life's way. Sometimes we fall in it, we need to get out, get on our knees, pray for it, repent of our sins and our wrongdoing, ask God to forgive us and to help us in that situation again, not to fall into the same hole. And we ought to seek to stay true to God in all that we do, even in what we say. Yes, there are souls in all of our lives. Key to it is to focus on what we control, can control. The key to it is to focus on God and to let God work in our lives. And then I put on the back of your worship folder how to deal with angry people in situations. Be careful about what we say. How many times has our witness been negated by the words that come out of our mouth? I don't know how you do at the end of your day, but there are some days just before I go to sleep, I kind of run through all the things in my mind and I think, man, where did I, how did I get so far off track? How did I say those things and how did I take that approach? And a lot of times, oh Lord, forgive me for the way I've spoken because it does not honor you. And I've lived with this quote for a while. I never have to regret words I have not spoken. <laughs> Be careful what you say. Honor God by your words. Lift our vision towards upward towards God and not right here with what's going on. Lift our heads up. The psalmist said, I will lift up my heads to the hills in which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. And what an example Jesus is. Even on the very cross in which he was nailed to, in the midst of notorious, well-known career criminals, at the hands of those who had treated him so roughly, Jesus had one prayer for those who nailed him to the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And God has that example for all of us. It's not easy. We're not always, we're not perfect at it, but, but we ought to lift our vision towards God and begin to see things as God sees. And then a great promise we sometimes overlook, we need to give our burdens to Jesus. He says, and Jesus said in early in the chapter, book of Matthew, come to me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. What a great promise that is. I spoke at a funeral for a lady in the community not long ago. And the family said, we want you to read and talk about her favorite verse of Scripture. And it was that verse of Scripture, Come unto me, all you that, that labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And I went to the family and I said, you know, are you, do you think you got something wrong, the book wrong, the chapter wrong, the verse wrong? Because this doesn't make sense as a summary of life. And they said, if you knew my mother, it did. She trusted God to help her with the heavy lifting of life. And she was able to stay on course because she learned the value of bringing her burdens to Jesus. Who cares? Who seeks to give us rest? Who doesn't always end the life of the souls around? 
but who gives us a peace and a comfort in knowing that he is at work and he will protect us. And by the way, it was not David's luck that protected his life. It was God's provision upon him because Saul was there and ready to kill him on numerous occasions except but for God. David would have not survived. And it is the same for you and I. We trust God to help us. Well, we don't usually think of the events of chapter 24 in David's journey to becoming a man after God's own heart. But I want to tell you, it's the, it's the, it's the training grounds for David for the rest of his life. He learned to inquire of the Lord, and it gave him a completely different perspective. And he learned to let God work through his life and to be an example of God in everything. I wonder what would be different in our world if we were the best example of God's will and salvation and forgiveness that we could be, God help us as we endeavor to be just that way and follow the path of David in our journey to being after God's own heart. I've read the story again this week. I think I mentioned it here before of the, of the story of the great Leonardo da Vinci, a, a, a tremendous painter, uh, lots of problems along the way, and one of his greatest works is the presentation of the Lord's Supper. It hangs in the Louvre in Paris. If you've, some of you have seen it, it's a life-size drawing. And he went through careful research of, uh, of the upper room and the, the little table on the, on, the, on the ground, close to the ground, that the, they would kind of recline against the Bible. So they would lay down and, and, and have Jesus in the middle as, he, as he's giving the disciples a, a piece of bread and telling him it's representative of his body. And as he's giving the disciples a, a drink from a common cup and telling him it represents his blood, that he's about to be killed and crucified, bruised, broken, and beaten for them. He's going to shed his blood for their salvation and their cleansing. Moving, a moving picture so vividly displayed, not just a little bitty snapshot, it's a life-size. And the story says that Leonardo went to great lengths to research everybody, every one of the disciples in Scripture to glean their characteristics. Peter is painted as a, as a big burly guy, big forearms, and kind of hairy, and he's, a, he's kind of a man's man, a kind of a, kind of a, a rough and tough guy. James and John, sons of thunder, the Bible says, because probably their temper are, 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 are more, are more uh, docile in their presentation. And they kind of look a little low-key, but have a voice, have an have a expression on their face. It looks like they could blow up at any time. He came to painting Judas. If you remember the story, how in the world would he portray Judas? It just so happened that Leonardo had a running battle with a fellow artist that they were always after each other and this artist was always after him and he, he was the thorn in Leonardo's flesh and one night Leonardo had what he thought was a great great idea I'm going to paint the pick the face of my friend on Judas's body so that from here on everybody that looks at Judas will think badly of him and they in effect will think badly of my friend it's the ultimate revenge Leon was, Leonardo was almost giddy in planning that. He spent all day painting on that face, and he, he had a perfect likeness of his friend's face on the body of Judas with the idea that, that for generations people will not like Judas and not like my friend because of what Judas did. But he reports sleep was fleeting that night. Instead of resting well and sleeping soundly for what he had done, just the opposite took place. He was troubled in spirit. He knew it was not right with what he did with Judas. And the Lord 
brought conviction to his heart. He thought it was a perfect revenge, but he said he awoke and finally got out of bed before, way before daylight and made his way to the studio, and the fastest thing he could do was to take some more paint and to blank the face of Judas off again and to start over and paint a, a very generic face on Judas. And he said only then did he find real relief towards the man that had caused him such trouble and he realized that it's not in seeking revenge that brings satisfaction. It's in honoring the Lord that brings real peace to the soul. We all have souls. I wish we didn't. But that doesn't mean God has forsaken us. And that doesn't mean God's purpose in our life has gone away or the presence of God has left us. We all have souls. Let us pray this week that God would help us to be David-like in our reaction to them, to be Christ-like in our reaction to them, and let God take care of all the other issues. We do that when we focus on God, when we focus on what we can control over, when we ask God to help us and lead us and guide us along the way. David would go on from this and a few other things to become a man after God's own heart, the most significant man in Scripture. I hope to hear David play the harp in heaven one day, the Bible says. Harps are going to be at the center of, of heaven and the music of heaven. And surely David playing such a mean harp has got to be there. Well, the Bible doesn't say mean harp, but that's my version. And we trust God to help us. Let God work in your life this week. For folks, there's nothing we do that, that evidences and testifies of what God has done in our heart and life than how we treat other people and those around us. God, help us as we endeavor to live a life pleasing to Him and as we endeavor to be a people who finds a heart after God Himself. I'm glad that God is not punitive in nature, that God does not seek to slap us around and find a way where we've misstepped, that we've taken a misstep, and, and to really punish us. I'm glad that God sees us, first of all, through the lens of grace as he seeks to help us not to stay where we are but to become what he wants us to be for the benefit of our lives for the benefit of our families our marriages our homes our jobs our friends for the benefit of God and his kingdom himself and may God help us in all that we do if you're glad to be in church this morning would you say amen, amen. I hope that you are and we trust God to help us let's stand this morning and we'll conclude with just a prayer and uh, Lord, we are thankful for the chance to be in church today and uh, glad to be able to look at the pages of your word and, and passages and scriptures that are often overlooked as we sometimes glean for the spectacular and the unusual in the Bible. Lord, I'm glad that you include the everyday stuff as well. And while we don't understand much of what life brings us, may we have an overwhelming sense that you are still Lord of it all. Lord of our lives, and you seek to help us navigate through life in a very successful way. Help us in our attitude towards others. Help us in our attitude toward people that don't like us, and quite frankly, people we don't like. Help us, Lord, to be representative of you. May we be men and women of prayer, and men and women of great blessing as we respond to those around us. Help us to focus on you this week and control what we can control and leave the rest in your hands. And we're thankful for your grace that helps all of us. For Lord, we wouldn't have a chance any other way. And may you be with us in a very real way this week that we realize and guide us through all that we do. In your name we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen.